Welcome to Pep Talk and Pickleball, the podcast that's here to uplift and empower midlife women on their journey towards a healthier, happier, and more confident second half of life. I'm your host, Jill Lewis, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this exciting adventure. If you are a midlife woman looking for that extra boost of positivity and guidance as you navigate the world of health, nutrition, fitness, and the unique experiences of the emptiness phase, you're in the right place. This podcast is your dedicated source for uplifting pep talks that will reignite your spark and help you embrace the incredible opportunities that life's second act has to offer. And here's the twist. I'm not just here for life advice. I'm also about having a blast on the court. If you're like me and have fallen head over heels for the sport of pickleball, you're going to love how I weave my passion for the game into almost every episode. From strategies to stories, I'll keep the pickleball love alive. Sometimes it's just you and me diving into insightful discussions on topics that matter the most to you. Other times we're joined by amazing guests, experts, enthusiasts, and thought leaders who share their wisdom, experiences, and strategies to help you supercharge this chapter of your life. Now let's grab our paddles, embrace the journey, and let the pep talks roll. Hey, welcome back. This is Jill, your host, and you're listening to another episode of Pep Talk and Pickleball. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I am going to put on my nutrition coach hat and talk to you about a strategy that I have all of my clients start using on day one when they start working with me, and it is called intermittent fasting. Have you heard of intermittent fasting? It's pretty mainstream at this point. When I first heard of it, I'm going to be honest, I thought it was a bunch of malarkey, but There's a lot of science behind it, and I want to take a deep dive into intermittent fasting today. What's really important to note is that intermittent fasting is not a diet. It is an eating pattern that alternates between periods of fasting and periods of eating. It has gained popularity for its potential benefits um, that promote fat loss and overall health. And like I said, I'm just going to be honest, I really thought that it was unhealthy. Like When I first heard about intermittent fasting, I thought, no, not doing it. And I was kind of upset thinking, why are we promoting women to not eat? But honestly, the science, I just didn't understand the science. I remember talking to a gym owner about it, and he actually suggested that it would decrease the muscle in my body, that I shouldn't do it, that it was harmful. But I can say after trying this for five years, it absolutely does not decrease your muscle mass. And in fact, it helps with a number of things with your health, not just the number on the scale. You know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, we were told in the fitness industry anyway, that we should be eating many meals all day long to keep our metabolism revved up. And there's really no science behind this. Yet, there's a lot of science behind time-restricted eating. You see, our bodies, well, they're just not meant to be digesting food all the time. It's good to allow your body digestive rest, just like our ancestors. And just because foods are available all the time, that does not mean that we should be eating all the time, right? So let's take a moment. I just want to talk about the history of intermittent fasting because fasting has been around for centuries although they did not call it the fancy name of intermittent fasting, but it's definitely not a new concept. It has roots in a lot of different cultures and religions throughout history. So let's just do a real quick overview. 
Fasting, like I said, it's been a part of the human history for centuries and is often associated with religious and spiritual practices. Like the ancient Greeks, for example, they practiced fasting for its potential health benefits. They believed it could help purify the body. Very interesting. And then there's the religious traditions that incorporate fasting as a spiritual practice. For me in particular, you know, during the Lenten season, which are the 40 days that lead up to Easter, we do practice some fasting. In Judaism, there is fasting um, is observed on Yom Kippur and other occasions. And then Muslims, they abstain from food and drink from sunrise to sunset um, during the holy month of Ramadan. You know, it's been around. And let's talk about Hippocrates. The ancient Greek physician, often referred to as the father of modern medicine, he recommended fasting as a therapeutic approach to a lot of health conditions. He believed that fasting allowed the body to heal itself. I find that so fascinating. How many centuries ago was that? How did he figure that out? I don't know. (laughs) But therapeutic fasting in the 19th and the 20th centuries, um, It gained popularity in Europe and the U.S. as a treatment for various health conditions. There were fasting clinics established, and there were professionals like Dr. John H. Tilden and Dr. Otto, I'm sure I'll butcher this, Buchinger, (laughs) you get the point, advocated for fasting as a way to promote health and healing. So then you've got in the mid-20th century, scientists began conducting research on effects of fasting on metabolism and health. Dr. Ansel Keys, you may have heard of him, um, but he and his colleagues conducted fasting studies and they explored the concept of calorie restriction. Now, their research laid the foundation for understanding how fasting and calorie restriction can impact health and longevity. Then in the 21st century, there's a bit of a resurgence with fasting, thanks in part to books and documentaries and, of course, the internet, right? Um, Dr. Michael Mosley's The Fast Diet and Dr. Jason Fung's work on intermittent fasting. And Dr. Fung, I've definitely read some of his work. That's probably the first education I received on intermittent fasting. Um, But they contributed to that resurgence of interest to this dietary approach. And then today, intermittent fasting, like I said, it's pretty mainstream. It's a, it's a trend maybe, but I think it'll be around um, because there's, well, first of all, there's various fasting protocols and methods and the research on intermittent fasting continues to explore its potential health benefits, including weight management, improved insulin sensitivity and longevity. And it's important to note that while intermittent fasting has a long history, it's supported by scientific research, I want you to know that individual results can vary and it is it may not be suitable for everyone. So as with any dietary or lifestyle change, it's advisable to consult with a healthcare professional before starting an intermittent fasting program, especially if you have underlying health conditions. Okay. Let's talk about how intermittent fasting can help with fat loss because that's pretty much the reason most people want to start with intermittent fasting. Well, an obvious way is caloric restriction. So one of the primary mechanisms through which intermittent fasting helps with fat loss is by creating a calorie deficit. When you limit the window in which you can eat, it does it just becomes easier to consume fewer calories overall, right? So if you're only eating in an eight-hour window, 
I mean, that makes sense. This reduced calorie intake can lead to weight loss, including loss of fat stores. So I want to come back to this because this is also why intermittent fasting does not always work for women. Okay, this caloric restriction. All right, so um, another way that intermittent fasting can help with fat loss is that it increases fat oxidation. So during your fasting period, the time that you're not eating, that extended fasting period, your body relies on stored energy sources such as glycogen and fat for fuel because you're not consuming new calories, right? You're not bringing in new energy. So as the fasting duration then extends, the body shifts from using glycogen, okay, your sugar stores, to predominantly burning fat for energy. So this increased fat oxidation can contribute to fat loss over time. During fasting periods, your body's going to rely on that stored fat for energy. It's going to lead to a decrease in the accumulation of fat in and around your organs, like your liver and your pancreas. Very good, right? And that's associated with an improved insulin sensitivity. So let's talk about that. When insulin sensitivity improves, your body is better able to manage blood sugar and it may store less fat. Well, I know so many people are watching their blood sugar levels and as they should. Okay, insulin's a hormone and it regulates blood sugar levels. When you have good insulin sensitivity, your cells are efficient at taking up glucose from the bloodstream which is essential for overall health, and it can play a significant role in the fat loss. It's going to reduce insulin spikes. So intermittent fasting typically involves those periods of fasting where no food is consumed, and during these fasting periods, insulin's gonna, you know, level's gonna remain low because there's no food to intake to trigger an insulin response. That prolonged period of ins- of lower insulin levels can help reduce insulin resistance over time. Also, intermittent fasting can help stabilize blood sugar levels by preventing those spikes and crashes. So when you eat continuously throughout the day, especially if you're consuming um, quick carbohydrate meals, those really high carb snacks, then you could experience frequent fluctuations in blood sugar levels. Now, when I say carbohydrates, I'm not talking about good complex carbs with plenty of fiber. I'm talking about those quick carbs, the cereals and the breads and the things like that. So those fluctuations, they contribute to insulin resistance. Let's move on and talk about hormone regulation. So fasting leads to changes in hormone levels that promote fat loss. So for example, fasting increases the release of norepinephrine, a hormone that boosts metabolism and it encourages the breakdown of fat for energy. So also fasting can stimulate the production of HGH, the human growth hormone, which plays a role in fat metabolism and muscle preservation. Whoa, I think that is fascinating. You know, some people find that intermittent fasting helps control appetite and reduce food cravings. This can make it easier to stick to a calorie deficit and avoid overeating. And here's the thing for me personally with appetite control, what I have noticed is that it just, intermittent fasting helps me feel in control, okay? It's like I am delaying that dopamine hit that we get when we eat food. 
right? Food, yes, it nourishes our body, but it does provide comfort. And we do get, a lot of us, a dopamine hit from eating really tasty food. So I have just noticed that that control, that me being able to delay that dopamine hit um, has been quite beneficial. Okay, let's talk about autophagy. Autophagy is like a sciencey word, but all it, it think of autophagy like a vacuum, okay? Intermittent fasting triggers this process called autophagy where the body breaks down and it removes damaged cells, okay? So it's like a vacuum going in and cleaning house. It's getting rid of the junk. And this process may play a role in reducing inflammation and improving metabolic health, potentially contributing to fat loss. So that reduction in inflammation, well, chronic inflammation can contribute to insulin resistance. Did you know that? Intermittent fasting can reduce inflammation in the body. Um, Like I was just saying, that autophagy, it's a cellular process. It's activated during fasting, and it's going to remove those damaged cells. You know, we think about inflammation. If you injure yourself and you maybe you, uh, I don't know, did something to your ankle, you twist your ankle or you hurt your knee and it swells up, that's an inflammation that's good. That's your body's way of protecting itself. What I'm talking about is that deep inflammation in your body and it could present itself in a million different ways, but that's, I'm not talking about good inflammation. (laughs) So, okay, let's move on and let's talk about the safest or the different kinds of intermittent fasting protocols. You got to find one that's tailored to your needs your preferences, your health status, and you really need to undertake this with careful consideration of your overall well-being, okay? Time-restricted eating. This is one of the most common and safe forms of intermittent fasting. It involves limiting your eating window to a specific number of hours each day, and for most people that I work with, this would be like a 12-hour fast. Time-restricted eating would mean If you were doing a 12-hour fast, you would stop eating at 7 p.m. and you would not eat again until 7 a.m. This is a very easy approach for beginners and this can be adapted into your daily schedule. I consider the time-restricted eating schedule, the 12-12, to be like the 70s version of eating. (laughs) When I was a kid in the 70s, in the 80s. Okay. My mom, like the kitchen was closed. My mom closed that kitchen down seven, eight o'clock, you know, at night. We were done. This was not a all you can eat buffet for 24 hours a day. It was shut down. We knew it was shut down. We knew we had to eat dinner and we might have had a tiny little dessert after dinner, like a little pudding cup or I don't know, whatever. Uh, maybe like a little bowl of ice cream or something, but that was right after dinner. And then we were done. You know, we did not snack all night long. So that was a 12, 12, you know, 12 protocol. It was just normal life. And then we had breakfast the next day, by the way, breakfast, let's think about that word, break fast, right? We're breaking our fast the next day. Okay. The next method would be the 16, eight method. This is a type of time-restricted eating where you fast for 16 hours each day and then you eat all of your meals within an eight-hour window. This can be extremely practical and sustainable for so many people. Here's how it might work for you. You might stop eating at 8 p.m. 
and fast until 12 p.m. noon the next day. Then you would eat until from 12 to 8 p.m. You get all of your meals in. And then again, so this is daily I'm talking about for all these protocols, these first two protocols daily, okay? So this is the 16-8 method is what my clients, 90% of my clients are doing. The only time that clients are going to do the 12-12 protocol would be health reasons, their health history that we would have to go over and talk about. So many of the women that I've worked with have been calorie restricting for so long that they have a hard time consuming enough food, um, especially during an eight-hour window. They're not used to eating that much food, truly. Most of my clients, they when they start working with me, they're shocked that they get to eat so much food. So they have to you know, extend their feeding window so that they're not feeling stuffed in that eight hours. So that's that would be somebody, um, because it's always more important for me that a client gets the right amount of nutrition before we worry about them getting to the 16-8 method. So I always want to make sure that they're getting enough nutrition. So that could be another reason someone's doing the 12-12, but it's generally... Um, or maybe if you're going on vacation or you have family in town or something, you know, like I'm not going to miss out on a family breakfast or Christmas morning breakfast with my family. I'm like, no, I can't eat until 12. I mean, one day is not going to blow it for me. I'm not really going to worry about it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. Another form of intermittent fasting could be alternate day fasting. In this protocol, you alternate between days of fasting and days of unrestricted eating. On fasting days, you consume very few calories or none at all, and then non-fasting, you're going to eat normally. It could be effective for some people. I personally don't promote this one. I think that it could lead to overeating on the non-fasting days, but you know, it might work for for some of you. And then you have the 5-2 diet. And rumor has it that this is what Jimmy Fallon does. This is interesting. This approach involves eating normally for five days of the week and then significantly reducing calorie intake on two non-consecutive days, like getting maybe 500 calories in a day. I don't know. It's not something that I could personally do. Um, I think the 16-8 or the 12-12 is much more doable on a daily basis and is something that I wouldn't get burned out on. And then I wouldn't have a day where I couldn't tell someone like, no, I can't go out to dinner. This is a fasting day, you know? Um, But eating windows that match your natural rhythms, that's another one. Some people find it beneficial to align their eating windows with the natural circadian rhythm. So for example, eating during daylight hours, fasting during the evening and night may support better metabolic health. And then you have the occasional 24-hour fast. In the faster way, when I coach my clients after they have been through my initial six-week program, they go into my VIPs and what they have the opportunity to do is an optional 24-hour fast once a month. Once a month. I don't think it's necessary to do it once a week. I know some people do. But doing a 24-hour fast once a month is a nice way to give your body that extended digestive rest, dip more into that autophagy. You know, there's a lot of factors that you need to consider when choosing a safe intermittent fasting protocol. Certainly, getting enough nutrition in your feeding 
window is critical. I cannot say that enough. When we talked earlier about how intermittent fasting helps with fat loss, it's because it can restrict your calories. But that can also be a major problem for women. If they're not eating enough during their feeding windows and they're really restricting calories, there's a whole slew of bad things that can happen to your body. Um, So we want to make sure that you're getting great nutrition from whole foods, um, whole food nutrition during your feeding windows. And the next one, of course, it's hydration. Staying hydrated during your fasting periods by drinking water, herbal tea, or another non or other non-caloric beverages. So we want to make sure that we're doing that right. You want to listen to your body, make sure that you know you're not experiencing dizziness, and then just checking in with your coach or your dietitian or your healthcare provider uh, to make sure that you're doing it correctly. Fasting, so a lot of you are probably thinking, well, okay, what can you have while you're fasting? Well, I mean, in a true fast, you're not having anything except for, you can have water, um, some coffee would be okay. You wouldn't want to have too much because you don't want to feel jittery. You want to watch the creamer and the sweeteners and all of that as well. I allow my clients to use a sweetener like stevia, not a ton of it. You don't want your body to have an insulin response. That's the whole point of this. But a little stevia, you don't want to avoid all the other artificial sweeteners out there. Check in with your creamer. If you have to have some kind of creamer, check the ingredients. And you don't really want to go over 50 calories. You know, we're, we're trying to stay away from having an insulin response. So if you look at your creamer, most of them have 25 to 30 calories per tablespoon. So it's something to be, uh, to take note of. So if you're somebody that is big coffee drinker with a lot of creamer, well, maybe for you, you do a 12 hour fast, break your fast, or, you know, after 12 hours, but try having that little bit of coffee, um, maybe delay having the creamer, delay that, Go then go to 13 hours. A lot of clients just kind of build it up. Like I was saying, you're just delaying that dopamine hit from your cup of coffee. You It does put you in the control, like in the driver's seat. It does help you have more control over your cravings and that sort of thing. So it's something just to consider, just to try. You know, after a period of fasting, it's really important to choose foods that are less likely to cause than a rapid spike in insulin levels. So here's some tips on what to eat to maintain stable blood sugar levels. Number one is protein. Including protein in your first meal after fasting can help stabilize that blood sugar. Protein-rich foods like lean meats, poultry, fish, tofu, tempeh, uh, beans and lentils are all good choices. And protein takes longer to digest. It can slow the absorption of carbs and reduce your insulin response. And then fiber, that's second on my list. I always say to my clients, protein and fiber at every meal makes losing weight no big deal. You're welcome. I read that in the F Factor book, I think. So protein and fiber with every meal makes losing weight no big deal. So fiber are foods that are high in dietary fiber, slow down the absorption of sugar from the digestive tract. It leads to a more gradual rise in blood sugar. So incorporate vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes into your meal. These foods are rich in fiber and they help keep insulin levels steady. That's great. And of course, healthy fats. Healthy fats like avocado, nuts, seeds, olive oil, 
Those can all help stabilize blood sugar and provide sustained energy. They slow the emptying of the stomach and reduce the glycemic response of a meal. Okay, let's talk about low glycemic carbohydrates. So if you choose to include carbs in your meal, which I highly suggest that you do, (laughs) I think you should opt for complex carbs with that low glycemic index. That would be like whole grains, oats, quinoa, sweet potatoes, legumes. Those are all digested more slowly and lead to a gradual increase in blood sugar. If you look at the blue zone areas of the world, they're not avoiding carbohydrates. In fact, they are having tons of fruits and vegetables, and but they are high in fiber, right? These are vegetables that even have some protein to them, but they're low glycemic carbohydrates. Okay, let's talk about portion control. Obviously, portion control is important. That's why I have my clients, when they first start working with me, they're tracking how much food that they're eating so that they can wrap their brain around what does an actual portion size mean. In the United States especially, our portion sizes have gotten out of control. Out of control. So it's important to learn true portion sizes. Avoiding sugary and processed foods, foods that are high in you know, refined sugars and processed carbs like the cereals, the pastries, the soda, those all cause that rapid spike in blood sugar and insulin levels. So it's just best to avoid them. Um, and especially after a period of fasting. We talked about hydration, how important it is to stay hydrated. And then obviously just monitoring your body's response. Everyone's response to food can vary. It's so interesting to me when I work with clients and how you know, one woman's body re- responds to certain vegetables versus another one's. It's just interesting, right? How like a higher fat, healthy fats uh, diet versus a higher complex carb diet. Um, just people respond very differently. So you might be more sensitive to certain foods. It's important that you find a post-fast eating pattern that really works well for you. Okay, so intermittent fasting is just one protocol that I give my clients to help them in their fat loss journey. It's certainly not just the silver bullet, like the one and done thing that is going to be this, you know, miracle cure. But intermittent fasting along with all these other things I've been talking about, they all work together to help you reach your health goals. But it's also important to know that these are all just instruments in your tool belt that you can use to help you lose fat. It doesn't mean that it's going to work for everyone or that it's even suitable for everyone because bioindividuality is a thing. We all have different health histories and it's important that we take note of that. So there are certain groups of individuals who should approach intermittent fasting with caution or maybe even just avoid it altogether. So here are some situations that I would consider not practicing intermittent fasting. Number one, pregnant and nursing women. Okay, I feel like that's pretty obvious. Fasting during this period may not provide adequate nutrition for the growing baby or the nursing child. I think it's more important for a pregnant or breastfeeding mother to prioritize proper nutrition. Unless you're working with a registered dietitian, a certified coach, I would just avoid it. Number two, children or adolescents. Intermittent fasting is generally not recommended for children or adolescents. They're still growing and developing. Fasting can interfere with their nutritional requirements 
And I also worry about adolescent girls. I just don't think um, with their mindset that that is something that we should be uh, expecting of them. And then people with eating disorders or orthorexia. So an individual that has a history or is currently battling an eating disorder, such as anorexia or bulimia or binge eating, honestly, just avoid intermittent fasting. Fasting can exacerbate disordered eating behaviors and negatively impact mental and physical health. Same thing with orthorexia, which is an obsession with healthy eating that leads to restrictive eating patterns. I say just don't worry about doing intermittent fasting, okay? There's those people that have a history of hypoglycemia. That is where you have frequent low blood sugar. I would be very cautious with intermittent fasting and just maybe stick to the 12-12, but work with your physician or healthcare provider on that. Same with diabetics that are currently taking medication, okay? So if you are on medications to lower your blood sugar, I think you should consult with your healthcare professional before attempting intermittent fasting because fasting can affect blood sugar levels and may require adjustments to medication. And then people with certain medical conditions like liver disease, kidney disease, heart problems, talk to your medical provider. Certain medications also, so for people that have to have medication with food, um, for that medication to be effective and safe, you may just have to forego intermittent fasting or maybe you could only fast 12 hours. That is fine. Um, also, people who are underweight, if you are already underweight, have a history of struggling to maintain healthy body weight, fasting just might not be appropriate for you. And finally, let's talk about those with high stress levels. I'm talking chronic high stress levels. Intermittent fasting can be a stressor on the body. So if you're experiencing chronic stress, it just might not be the right time to add additional stress through fasting. Okay, stress management should be a priority, especially if you are trying to lose fat. Stress is like the enemy of fat loss, that chronic stress rather. Okay, so it might just not be the right time for you. Might need to just work on that stress management instead. I hope that helped you think about intermittent fasting as maybe an instrument in your tool belt that you can use to get healthy and lose the unhealthy fat that you might have on your body. I do think it is something that you should work with a coach or registered dietitian on. And if you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. You can always email me at jilllewishealthco at gmail.com, or you can always find me on Instagram at jillblewis. I'm happy to take your questions there as well. Okay, let's talk pickleball and what else has been going on in my life after the break. Tired of dieting and feeling stuck? Well, don't worry, I've got your back. Introducing a whole new approach, the five days to fat loss starting September the 18th. Get ready to transform your body by doing the program that I use and I teach others. Quick and effective workouts, delicious meal guides, and real lasting results. And guess what? The five days to fat loss is only $19.97. Here's what's waiting for you. Tighten up with 30-minute workouts, beat the bloat with mouth-watering meal guides, and learn the secrets that really work straight from the experts. It's no secret that clients of mine swear by this program, and now it's your chance to get a taste and see what it's like working with me. Are you ready to break free from the diet cycle and move the needle towards your goals? Let's make this journey together. Click on the link in today's show notes to get registered. All right, I'm back. Let's talk some pickleball. 
I gotta say, my pickleball has been pretty terrible in the last two weeks. And it's got me bummed out a little bit because I feel like as much as I play, I should really be improving. It's kind of like two steps forward, one step back type of deal. I mean, it got so bad this week, I'm questioning my paddle, if I should change paddles. <laughs> and we all remember what my husband told me, that it's not the arrow, it's the Indian. So I'm going to stick with my paddle. But here's what I think is going on. You guys, I have hurt my back. So I think I'm playing cautiously. I'm not, I'm just not myself out there because I don't feel like myself. So if you listen to my last episode, I talked about how my, the back of my knee was bothering me and how I got it dry needled. And I've been working with Steve Blanford, who is our local chiropractor slash therapist. He's just phenomenal. Anyone that has any injury of any kind, I'm always go to Steve first before you do anything else and get his opinion. We did that one session of dry needling. And then the next time I went back, you know, I told him, I said, Hey, the back of my knee hurts. Yes. But on Honestly, I think it's my back. Let, okay, first of all, let me back up a little bit. About seven to eight years ago, I had some back issues that lasted a long time. I'm talking probably a year or so. And it was one of those, it honestly, I think was a year or two years. It was in my lower left back right next to my spine and it caused a whole slew of issues. Now, I eventually got over it. I did a lot of work on it. It was quite the deal. But I have been feeling tightness back there in the last few months. And like a dummy, I just have not been taking care of myself. I just kept thinking, oh, it'll work itself out. And that is so silly. And just being lazy and not doing the stretching and the foam rolling that I needed to be doing. Um, Massage therapy helped me out a lot. The last time I had this, I was honest with them and I said, hey, listen, it's the same side, that left side, and it's my the back of my left knee. And we're both looking at each other like, duh, I'm, it's the back. You know, the, the back of the knee is hurting because of something that's going on. And it's most likely, again, uh, something to do with my disc. I'm not saying I have a herniated disc, but it's definitely an irritated <laughs> disc issue. And that is uncool. He kind of scared me straight. He was like, we got, you have to take this really seriously. And I'm like, I know. And he's like, no, you are going to be in a lot of trouble if you don't take this seriously. I got it. I know. He was already had a vacation or something scheduled. He's been out of town this whole week. So I'm going to go back to see him next week. And he gave me a lot of exercises to really work myself getting into extension Oh, so it bothers me mostly when I'm sitting. I honestly, when I'm exercising, it feels pretty good. It's the exact same thing that happened to me the last time, you know, all those years ago. It's when I am still, especially mostly when I'm sitting. Sometimes when I'm laying down, I've had to really force myself to not lay on my stomach. I'm a all over the place type of sleeper. I am on my back, my side, my stomach, but I cannot sleep on my stomach anymore with this back issue. I'm just taking it easy with my workouts. So I did a HIIT workout on Monday. All the exercises felt really good, except I did the in and outs. And I don't know if you know what those are, but okay, if you're in a plank position, hands are on the floor, you're in that plank, okay, with your hands on the floor. You bring your feet as close up to your hands as you can, and then you shoot back out to a plank. Um, That was dumb. I should not have done it. And not only did I do it one time, I did it two sets of it because I get in a mode when I'm working out. I know this happens to probably a lot of you when you're 
working out, you're like, no, 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 I got this. And it feels good in the moment, but uh, that was a mistake. So that kind of irritated it more. Playing pickleball, I tell myself things like, I'm not going to go crazy and go for it. But for those of you that don't play, I mean, I'm sure that you do play for listening to this, but pickleball is, it's active. You're getting your body into a lot of crazy positions. For instance, today I went out and played and I just beforehand thought, all right, you're not going to go for anything crazy, like moving laterally, bending over. I mean, you should see me when I am retrieving a ball, I am squatting. I'm not just bending over at the waist and, you know, picking up the ball. I am getting into a low squat to pick up the ball so that I have good positioning, been proud of myself, my posture. But this one woman served the ball and it's a round robin I played in and she served the ball and it was short. It was a corner. It was such a great serve. And my silly mind, I'm like, oh, she's not getting a serve past me. And of course I went for it. I got the return, but it really jarred it and it did not feel good at all. And I knew it. And I was like, why are you the way you are? (laughs) So I kind of had to stop playing early. I just did not feel like myself today. And yeah, it's bumming me out. But I have, thank goodness, my massage therapist from years ago, she still is working. And I texted her today. She said, I'll get you in Monday. And I'm just going to keep on this weekend with doing my exercises for my back, doing my foam rolling, good posture, um, those things. And then I'll see Steve next week. And hopefully I'm going to get on the road to recovery. One thing I know for sure is that I'm still going to do my strength training exercises. I probably am just, or I know I'm just going to back off of the such heavy weights. You know, I'm a real big proponent of, you know, we want to lift heavy, but with this issue, I don't want to damage anything further. So I am going to keep working out. I'm going to light, uh, lighten up the weights but I'm still going to work through the full range of motion on these exercises because like my, I always say my good friend, Renee Carls, she's a, another coach friend of mine. And I think I've quoted her on here before that motion is lotion and you cannot just sit still and not do anything. So I'm still going to keep moving my body. Um, I'm just going to be trying to try <laughs> to back off of so much intensity Um, that I normally go at it. So the good thing is years ago, I was teaching when this happened to me, I was in a mode where I worked in a gym and I was teaching multiple classes a week, sometimes a couple of classes a day even. And it was really hard on my body. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was sustaining a lot of injuries when I was in that constant you know, I was spinning, I was leading HIIT workouts, I was doing strength workouts, I was doing yoga workouts. I mean, I was doing all of these workouts plus my own workouts with my friends and I was still into running and y'all, it was a whole thing. I look back on that and go, what was I thinking? I just didn't know. I thought more exercise, the better. And it caught up with me, you know? And so the good news is I don't do that anymore. Like on Wednesdays in my little town, I teach a bar class. Well, I don't do another workout on top of that when Jill, like eight years ago, would have absolutely done multiple workouts in one day. And I, I'm just smart enough now to know, like, we don't need to do that. So that's what's going on there. It's frustrating, but I'll, I'll get through it. I'll get through it. I was, let's keep talking about pickleball because I wanted to share with you 
a friend of the podcast, Michelle Taylor, she was um, in my first season on the podcast. She had, gosh, it's such a great interview. I hope you'll go back and listen to it, but she is a, a licensed therapist and man, did we have such a good conversation. It might be my favorite podcast of them all. Um, I'll link it in the show notes in case you've missed it. You definitely want to go back and listen to it. But on Instagram, she's the dink shrink. I mean, how funny is that? She's so good. Um, yeah, the dink shrink. She's hilarious. And, but she's really coming up with some interesting, I don't know, just conversation about pickleball and how the relationships that you have, your own mindset playing the game, which by the way, today I felt like a little bit like a mindset coach. I, one of the round robin games I played with um, a gal that was just so down on herself. And trust me, I get it because I am that way too sometimes. Like when you're just not hitting it well and you're just so frustrated and she was just every shot saying something. And I was just finally like, dude, stop. Like you've got to be somewhat positive here. I mean, you you've you have to just quit saying so much negative, putting negative stuff because you're kind of just sucking the air out of this game. I mean, we're all playing flat now because you're so negative. So anyway, she did come up to me later and say, you know what? That was that was good advice. Thank you. That actually helped me in my next game. So my a friend, the Dink Shrink, Michelle, had such a great post, and it was called the Pickleball X. Okay, you know what an ick is, right? Like I hear my kids, actually my daughter loves to use the word ick. Ick's like something that grosses you out about something, someone, like someone gives you the icks. Now my daughter and her, she's a Gen Z, but she and her um, girlfriends are usually talking about, it's something funny, you will might see it on like TikToks or whatever, an ick that they get from guys. Okay, one ick would be for me is like seeing a guy wearing Crocs, I, it's an ick. I don't like it. I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell you. I find Crocs to be, it gives me the icks when men are wearing Crocs. Okay. So like that's an ick, but you know, Michelle is going into how pickleball and what an amazing game it is, but how, you know, you might have a positive experience with someone, but you also might play with somebody that just straight up gives you the icks. So what would be an ick? Well, again, it's a disgust or an aversion aversion towards something or someone. And one of the ones that she said, what is an ick? And she listed unwanted coaching. And I thought, oh my word, if that is not so true, unwanted coaching, because not everybody wants your opinion. And when you're out there playing pickleball, um, at least if you're somebody that likes to help others with their pickleball game, this is what I would do. And, And this is, I'm reading this from Michelle's post. She's like, ask for permission first and say this. Do you mind if I give a suggestion? And if they say no, like respect the boundary. I love that, Michelle. I think that's such a good point. And there's so many people that give their opinions. I laugh because if somebody gives me an opinion that I'm just like not in the mood to hear, I always say, you know what? I'll bring, I'll talk to Judy about it. Judy's the lady that I actually pay lessons to take from. Like, (laughs) yeah, Judy and I'll talk that over. Just kind of like, all right, dude, back off. Okay, another ick, I a thousand percent agree with this one, is hard paddle taps. Okay, so this is what she said. Emotions can take over, you get excited or you get frustrated, but don't take your emotion out on your partner's paddle in between points. It's expensive. Paddles are expensive. So be gentle with paddle taps. So I never thought about this until... 
I don't know, maybe like a year ago or so, one of our friends got a new paddle and she was just like, don't tap my paddle. And I thought at first, like, God, that's so silly. But then I started noticing it and people doing it to me. And when I bought my most expensive paddle, I was like, yo, calm down, people. So um, I actually recently just had a woman that was just slammed my paddle twice. Like she was happy and hit it so hard, the paddle tap. And I finally told her, I was like, yo, I'm like, back off easy, easy, light, you know, and she's, oh, okay. So anyway, but that is an ick for me as well. Another ick uh, from the dink shrink was thinking you're better than others. So you can know your strengths and know what to offer, but don't tear others down in the process. Even with people who are lower levels than you, be kind and just work on your game. I mean, so true. Another one that she wrote was tantruming. Everyone makes mistakes, but your mistakes don't matter more than others. And she does talk about this a lot on her Instagram page that learn to self-regulate and that tantruming just stresses you and your partner out and it makes you play worse. So I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. I do a lot of negative self-talk in my brain. I try not to say it out. That's not true. I do say it out loud a lot. There's a lot of times where I'll just yell at myself like, idiot. (laughs) I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that a lot. This ick is beyond for real. Okay. So not encouraging your partner. You might be in your own head, but it's always best. The best way to get out of your head is to give kudos to your partner. So Michelle talks about how it builds confidence, trust, and it empowers the team. Even with a partner you don't like, encouragement makes it work. All right. You can have such a better experience if you get partnered with someone in a round robin that you're not excited about. Like it's just going to make the whole game so much better if you just encourage your partner. I have to say when my husband and I play together, we're not great partners. I'm just going to say it. We're not. We're good partners on everything else in our lives. So playing pickleball isn't one of them. He is a golfer and that is an individual sport. So, and he is fiercely competitive. Okay. And I'm fiercely competitive, but I'm also a cheerleader. That is my natural. Um, <laughs> when I play in sports, I am a cheerleader. You know, I was a cheerleader back in the day. I, that you know, once a cheerleader, always a cheerleader. So I'm always talking and cheering, and and I think that for him gets on his last nerve, and he thinks it's condescending almost for all of us girls out there that are like, good try. And I'm like, no, like we actually mean it, you know, (laughs) and he doesn't reciprocate with me. And he always looks so serious and not angry, but it just comes across like that. So I'm always telling him like, I don't need you to be a little more encouraging when we're playing together, please. And then another ick that Michelle lists on here is talking negatively about others. I can be just a total negative Nancy on this one. Um, I do have some girlfriends that I might vent about another player and I need to stop doing that. That's silliness. It's not really cool. And I'm sure other people, you guys probably do it too. There's certain people out there that just rub you wrong. I mean, get over it. Who cares? Um, It's not like I have to play with them that often or even see them very often. Eye rolling, poor body language. Well, that is a major ick. Eye rolling and poor body language puts the amygdala on alert and that it's not a safe place. And let me tell you, that is so true. So if I miss a shot and I'm playing with a partner that I'm already a little bit intimidated by and they kind of make that like sound, 
I don't ever see eye rolls because they have sunglasses on usually, but if they do that, I get so stressed. Then like, like Michelle says in this post, playing pickleball on, on alert is not going to elicit good pickleball. Goodness, is she correct? So help everyone feel safe and work on comforting body language. <laughs> so I was thinking about icks and she was like, what are some other icks? And this is what I came up with. My icks are someone that when you go out to open play and someone that just man- manages to partner themselves with the best player all the time in whatever foursome you're playing in, that they somehow always manage and maneuver themselves to play with the best player. That is an ick for me. Here's another ick, and this might be like, okay, Jill, we'll get over it, (laughs) is lobbying. When people lob over and over and over and over again, that is a huge ick for me. (laughs) That being said, I am getting a lot better at uh, retrieving a lob. Uh, Here's another one, and this is probably my number one ick of them all. Are you ready for this? Drum roll. When you're playing, okay, so I'm a female, obviously, if I'm playing with a male. So when a male partner takes my forehand smash, so the ball, I'm on the left side of the court. The ball is coming towards, you know, it's up in the air. I've got a forehand smash. It's on my side of the court. Like maybe it's just left of the center line. Even if it's just barely right of the center line, it's my forehand. I've got a great angle on it. And if I'm playing with a right-handed player and they're on the right side of the court and they take that smash, like they call me off and take it, it it makes me want to strangle them. (laughs) Now, this is not tournament play. I get it in a tournament play. If there is somebody that is just, if I'm playing with a partner that is just clearly dominant, I don't always hit my smashes perfectly, but I feel like an open play that is just, that's my my big ick. It annoys me. (laughs) So there you go. I'd love to hear, what are your pickleball icks? But yeah, definitely comment on the Dink Shrinks post on Instagram. I thought that was a great one that Michelle did. And then obviously go listen to that episode with Michelle, because not only should we have great conversation about pickleball, but she is a licensed therapist. And some of the couples therapy that she does is great. And she gives us just so many good tips. And it was a great interview. So when I was getting ready for this podcast, I was thinking about the word ick and how that's a word that my daughter says all the time. And I got laughing to myself thinking about if you have young adult children, you know, my kids are, are they young adults still? If you're 26, I don't think so. I have adult children, (laughs) but they're Gen Z and they have a language of their own. Like there's sometimes I will look at my kids' social media. They're not huge post posting on social media, but when they do and their friends are all comedy, I don't even know like what language they're speaking half the time. Like what, I don't even know what that means. My husband and I, I'm not kidding. We've had to Google before like certain words because we, we don't tell our kids that, but we're like, what did that even mean? That made no sense. Or I'll secretly text another one of the kids and go, um, yo, what did, what, what did that mean on, on his Instagram? I have no clue what, what they were talking about. So I thought it would be kind of funny to just have a Gen Z word of the week to help out you other empty nesters out there that your kids, or if you have Gen Z kids, that you're like, I don't understand their language 
And what does this word mean? So here we go. This is our first segment. I'm going to try to do this. Hopefully I'll remember on these podcasts. We're going to do a Gen Z word of the week. Now listen, this is September of 2023 when I'm recording this. That means by in about six months, this word is don't say it. Okay. So the word this week is chuggy. <laughs> Have you heard of the word chuggy? So it's pronounced chuggy, all right, but it's spelled C-H-E-U-G-Y, chuggy. Chuggy's been out for a while, so I'm sure it's getting ready to like be canceled. But chuggy, like you would mock somebody or something is uncool, all right, that you're really out of touch with current trends, um, or maybe you're even trying too hard to be trendy. Here's an example. My mother is so chuggy that she part- does TikTok trends that are from 2020. Okay. So chuggy is like, you're so outdated and you're trying too hard to be cool. Chuggy. You can now impress your Gen Z kids and grandkids with that word. <laughs> you should be like, oh my gosh, dad is so chuggy. He had on these jeans from 1995. (laughs) There you go. You've got homework. All right. Okay, guys, I hope you have a great week and I hope you get to play some awesome pickleball. We're coming into the best weather ever in the Midwest. I hope it's great where you are too. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give my show a follow. Also, so that more people can find Pep Talk and Pickleball, if you could leave a rating and a review, I would be so grateful. If you would like some more behind the scenes with me, follow me over on TikTok at Jill Lewis Living or on Instagram at Jill B. Lewis.